Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This podcast is graphic and deals with mature subject matter. You're listening to True Crime Chronicles. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, and I am here back again this week with Jessica Knoll and Spencer Brudig. Jessica, we are getting a lot of new listeners to the show and just wanted to give people sort of a heads up about what we've been covering, what we plan to cover, what we do here every week. Yeah, well, so we cover cases from across the country, and we've looked at cults in Georgia. We've looked at cases that are solved, unsolved, missing persons, some interesting cases like the Icebox murders out of Houston. Some cases are recent, and some like the Icebox murders are pretty far um, in the past that we take a look at. And every week we talk to a reporter at one of our stations around the country. Uh, Spencer, this week we're talking to a senior reporter down in Florida about a case you came across, right? Yeah, this week we talked to Bo Zimmer in Tampa, Florida. He's a senior investigative reporter for WTSP, and he is very passionate about this case, and he always has been. And I should add that when we talked to Bo this week, he reached back out to the parents, and what we're hearing this week is uh, the parents of the young woman in this case talking to us uh, just recently. It's been almost 14 years since Joyce and Drew Kessie last saw their daughter, Jennifer. She was 24 years old at the time, and some of the memories are starting to fade, the stuff that's hard to get back. I'm having a hard time remembering Jen's voice. Ma'am. Like her hugs, yeah. I'll always, she gave the best hugs. But it's her voice, yeah. the sound of her laughter that I miss. It's, it's so painful. Sometimes, actually all the time, it's painful. And every day the Cassies wake up and continue the search. We're not looking for a car. We're not looking for credit cards. We're not looking for money. We're looking for human life. And it's the most valuable of all is human life. So (laughs) we're willing to do anything. We have unconditional love for our daughter. We created her and and we're gonna go about it. And we're not gonna stop until we take our last breath or she comes home to us for the good or the bad. We don't know any different. We don't know how to act any differently. They have days and moments that surround and maybe briefly cover the hole in their lives. But for the most part, every day feels much the same. Every single second of every single day to us is frantic because we need to find her. And it's that urgent 13 years and nine months later as it Mm -hmm. was the day after. Mm -hmm. It's that urgent to us. That urgency, that need to find their daughter or find out what happened to her has always been there from the minute they got a call on January 24th, 2006 at their home in Tampa. Bo Zimmer is a senior reporter at WTSP, the CBS station there. He's been covering news at the station not long before Jennifer disappeared. He remembers when he first heard about a young woman missing in Orlando. It was a slow news day, and I see this story pop up on the wire of a missing girl, originally from Tampa, who disappeared from Orlando. Jennifer's a financial analyst. She's working for a company in Ocoee. She 
has everything going for her. When she doesn't show up for work and doesn't even call, that sets off alarms with her employers. They go through her emergency contact list and immediately call her parents who live back in the Tampa Bay area. And hey, Jennifer didn't show up for work today. Of course, they are immediately alarmed. They know that does not sound like Jennifer at all. Of course, they immediately start trying to reach her by cell phone. And for the first time since she was 15 years old and we gave her her phone when she got her car, she didn't pick the phone up and it didn't go four rings to voicemail. It went directly to voicemail. And we knew that second that something, something was, was wrong. Right. Her boyfriend, Robert, also starts making phone calls. No answer. He's down in South Florida feeling a little bit helpless as well. Her parents know something is not right. We were out the door within a minute. Or at least I was. We had to go. Joyce was at work and I had to go pick her up and what have you. We reacted immediately. We were flying out the door, period. Her brother also starts heading towards Jennifer's condo. And I believe the brother arrives first and then the parents arrive within 15 minutes after the brother. But they're all arriving between 3 and 3.15 that afternoon. We were on high adrenaline. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was scary, but like intuitively, we both knew something happened to Jen. They arrive and immediately start calling the Orlando Police Department saying, hey, our daughter is missing. There was a couple outfits laid out on the bed. She was picking out what she wanted to wear that day. And um, everything seemed to be, the, the tub was a little wet when we, when we got there and her, um, her towel, she had taken into her laundry room and draped it over the washer and that was still a little wet. So there were indications that it was any normal, regular morning. There was no sign of any foul play or any type of struggle in the apartment. Everything looked absolutely normal. Nothing happened within the condo. There's nothing disturbed, nothing was broken into or what have you. Uh, we truly believe it's between the condo door and her car. And so the working theory now is that Jennifer got up for work, got ready, left, locked her front door, and then somewhere between her front door and getting to work, she disappeared. It is a mystery. There is no sign of Jennifer Cassie. But later that same afternoon, the same day she's reported missing, Jennifer's family and friends are already on street corners near her condo, handing out flyers with her name and photo. They are going out with flyers and posters they had a huge group with them. I was actually there, and you could hear the, the cars honking in support. You know, people driving by knew something was wrong, and, and this crowd was making it very apparent that, you know, there was an urgency that there was a young lady that was missing uh, there in the Orlando area. Jennifer's simply gone, without a trace. But then, the first break in the case. Two days later, two and a half days later, um, they were, able, they were able to find her car. Orlando police get a call from a person who lives right down the street, about a mile and a half down the street from where Jennifer lives. And this person reports to police that there's a car similar to the one that they saw on television that's been parked in front of their condo unit for a couple days. And it was exactly 1.2 miles down the same road she lived on in a very poor condo complex, left next to the pool in a parking spot for visitors. There are items left in the car 
that indicate that this was not a robbery or a carjacking. Uh, there's no sign of really a struggle. There's no blood. There's really not much evidence other than this car is parked where it shouldn't be parked. So naturally, Orlando detectives now start looking for video surveillance footage. And there's a couple of cameras positioned around this apartment complex, as most apartment complexes might have. There's one camera that faces towards the pool that catches the car in the background, and there's a few others pointed in two directions. The camera that's pointed towards the pool in the background, and it's real blurry to look at, but you see this figure pulling into the parking spot. And someone sat in it for 32 seconds, presumably wiped it down from what we know of what we took from the car now, and walked away and never looked back. From a separate angle, looking out towards the main road, you then see this person come back around outside of the apartment complex and start walking down the sidewalk. That video shows the person who was in Jennifer's car uh, getting out and walking along the fence line of the uh, pool. And when they come into the second camera's view, it's much closer than the, the first camera that parked the car. And uh, we have fence posts every eight feet and the, the surveillance cameras worked every three seconds. Uh, the person's head and body was caught every three seconds behind a fence post to the extent that we cannot see that person's face ever in anything that we have because they're just timed exactly right behind fence posts. This is incredibly frustrating, not only to investigators, but of course, to Jennifer's parents. They're watching this video, which was released days later, and they see the person who they believe may have the answers to their daughter's disappearance, but they can't tell who it is. You can't even tell if it's a man or a woman. Luckiest person in the world, if you ask me. Both the FBI and NASA, right down the street uh, at the Kennedy Space Center, go to work trying to analyze and, and pull whatever clues they can out of this video. NASA tries to make the video clear or enhance it in some way, but it's hard to enhance video where there's a bar blocking the person's face. You get a clearer picture of the bar, not the person's face. The FBI also takes a look at this. They're trying to determine exactly any parameters on this person. Is this a man or a woman? What is the potential height of this person? And they enhanced it the best they can. Uh, we've had attempts to enhance it since then, and that is the best we have, and that's the best it's gonna be in technology today, at least. As police conduct interviews, one of the early possible leads, according to Jennifer's parents, has to do with construction workers around the condo where Jennifer was living. She had, in fact, mentioned them to her parents. Jen had shared um, with quite a few people that the workers made her feel uneasy. They would stop and leer, but they wouldn't verbally say anything or make any uh, gestures, but they made her feel extremely uncomfortable. So that became one of the next working theories or targets for police, trying to find out, was there someone who was a worker within this community who may have had their eye on Jennifer, 
who may have wanted to make contact with her. But I, I believe that it, the workers have something to do and know some of the workers know what happened to Jen because we plastered that condo complex with flyers on every door, on every window of every car. And amazingly, the next morning, probably two thirds of the workers didn't show up. And to be clear, while police certainly talked to anyone and everyone in the area, her family, her boyfriend, friends, people around the condo, no one was ever named a suspect. Orlando police are looking at everyone, anyone who might have been close to Jennifer. All possibilities are on the table. What would someone want with a beautiful 24-year-old woman? They don't take women to sit them in a corner and look at them. They take women to rape them, to use them, abuse them, and then kill them if they don't want them anymore. That's why women get taken, period. The, the parents, for many, many years, were convinced that Jennifer was out there somewhere alive, and they were not gonna give up hope that she was out there. And in many of their emotional interviews, they would speak directly to Jennifer, hoping and praying that somehow she would hear this message on the news or on the radio or somewhere, that she would get word that her parents were, were actively looking for her and praying for her return. Over the years, police have ruled out several suspects, but this surveillance video still remains a mystery. The person behind the gate. Today marks exactly 10 years since Tampa native Jennifer Kessie vanished without a trace. Who's ever taken her? 10 years is a long time because we know more than one person knows what happened to Jennifer 10 years ago. We know that. It's not a secret. After that initial find of Jennifer's vehicle, and there's that image and the person of interest that is seen but obscured on the video, that is really where the, the trail ends. At some point, the family says, okay, well, Orlando police, if you're not gonna continue investigating this case the way we feel it needs to be investigated, we're gonna take over. They are no longer by law required to look for Jennifer. And so the family immediately started fighting for the records. They felt like this was a cold case. But of course, Orlando police, they're saying, you know, this is still an active case. We are not gonna just hand over all of our investigative records. We are still actively investigating this case until we, uh, you know, find out who's responsible. We wanna make sure we can prosecute this person. We're not gonna just hand over all this information. But the family's perspective, this is a cold case you're not working on anymore. We need some of this information. Let us start researching this, but give us a place to start. And so there was this legal battle between the family and the Orlando Police Department over the case files. And, and the family actually went to court and sued Orlando Police for these records. The judge eventually ruled that the information should be handed over, um, but it still has not to this day, it still has not been to the family's satisfaction. They are still waiting for additional pieces of evidence. Uh, a lot of the information came back redacted. Uh, they, were, they were not happy with the way this was handled in terms of even after a judge ordered the information to be turned over, it was a very slow trickle of information and paperwork. 
Well, we do want people to know that we, we have gotten our hands on the files and we have had an opportunity to at least um, go through them once. Uh, now, now it's truly tearing them apart. It's going to take an incredible amount of time, but we do have hope that there's just something in there that something was overlooked, just didn't get right, um, and go from there. But it's, it's the chance we're taking. We know how many law enforcement officials have looked at Jennifer's case and have come up with absolutely nothing. Um, but now it's our turn. And it might be the last turn, but we have to try and bring the professionals that we think could possibly help us um, find Jennifer. Yeah. Uh, what's in the files? Uh, we're learning new things. We're learning a lot of new names, but we're also learning that Nothing has ever formulated. We really don't have a suspect. Orlando Police, that agency, has gone through a number of different police chiefs over the years. And as each new police chief comes in, they kind of renew the effort or the perceived effort to find Jennifer. At, at, at you know, I think on, the, I, I don't know the exact anniversary, it might have been the 12th anniversary, and, you know, a new police chief had come in. But they, they on the anniversary they'll they'll hold news conferences to ra remind people that Jennifer is still missing and to update the public on any new information which isn't much. Uh, they've wrapped city buses with her with her picture and face plastered all over the bus. At one point, Orlando police assigned a full time detective back to work on this case, but still they they keep ending up with dead ends and, and no new leads. Orlando police did get a tip years and years later. Um, and it was an area that we had gotten a lot of rain and the Orlando police department, you know, got this somewhat vague tip, but they wanted to search this area, but they had to wait until some of that area dried up. And so as soon as that area dried up a little bit. They went out and did a, a full day search, you know, 60, 70 uh, different uh, officers and deputies from around the area went out and searched with their machetes in this area looking for any evidence, nothing found. And so I remember interviewing Drew and Joyce that day after that tip came in, they were just praying for some type, type of lead and you could see the anguish on their face. And they said, you know, today was not our day. Facts have changed over the years. You know, we, we learn little things that come out here and there. Not much. You know, we wish we knew a lot more. Oh, yeah. But facts do change. So it is, it, it is good to keep telling the story. Um, I, don't th I don't think the story has really changed. But facts come up. And every time we tell the story, we do get contacted by people, okay? People who made a telephone call to police 13 years ago and never got a call back, or who got a call back and just wanted to tell us what they told the police because they never saw anything happen. You know, and they're not saying that, it, you know, investigation didn't happen around it, but people want us to know that they have been reaching out too. And we're, we get incredibly thankful. Yeah for the public. Uh, and in the long run, they're gonna be the ones who solve this. They really are. I think it's gonna be someone who knew something and has just not come forth. And I think that the more awareness 
if that person is listening, that has to eat at you. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, I mean, it's human nature. It's, it's got to. And you know what? Someday, someone's going to come forth. And I, I hope that it's tomorrow. Yeah. For, for many years, the parents were, were holding on to that hope that Jennifer was alive. There are people being found that have been held captive, and who's to say that Jennifer is not going to be the recipient of the next miracle? It happens. You don't know who it's going to happen to. We pray that, it, that Jen gets the miracle. I think reality has set in that there is a good probability that she may not still be with us, but they are no less passionate about bringing their daughter home, dead or alive. They need answers. They can't fathom the idea of going another five years, 10 years, 20 years without knowing what happened to Jennifer. You realize number one, it didn't happen to us. We've never asked why. We've not once. We've never once asked asked why. why. And it didn't happen to us. It happened to Jennifer and she needs us. That's that's really why we do what we do. Failure is not an option. And as I, You know, we're both 62. I was so hoping this was the year. But, um, and it might be, and the year's not over. And you have to have hope. Yeah, I mean, without hope, we would not be sitting here, and nobody can take your hope away. There are people who would have been out in that apartment complex that may have been driving in the area. Somebody saw this person walking back to Jennifer's condo complex. They are looking for that per, for for any person who may have seen that, and they're trying to jog people's memory uh, to to think back to that morning of January twenty fourth, two thousand six. Was there maybe a, a school kid, maybe a little eight or nine year old, who may have been you know out in that area at that time, who may have seen something that that police never interviewed. They're looking for someone who was in that area back in in January of 2006 to try to jog their memory, to to just think, think back. Do you remember seeing anything? If you know something, if you think you know something, if you think you heard something, make the phone call. Here's what you can do. Go to your clergy or go to a lawyer. Your name never has to come out and you never have to come forward. They will do the work for you. All we need is the information. If the information is real and right, it's over, it's done, period. You'll never have to know, no one will ever have to know your name. I never knew Jennifer. I never met Jennifer Kessie, but I've met her family and I've met her parents and I've gotten to know Jennifer through her parents. When I hear Jennifer's mom talk about her daughter, I feel, like I get to know Jennifer a little more each time. I would never want nope. this life that nope. we didn't choose. Um, yeah. But for the love of Jen, this is our life right now. Yeah. And we will continue on and continue to fight the fight to bring her home. Her face, her picture, her story needs to be out there. The details of what happened may jog someone's memory and at some point, maybe somebody comes forward with some type of information. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. 
With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. So, Will and Spencer, something that really tugs at the heartstrings and 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 hits you when you're listening to this story is that the parents really do search for their daughter every single day. And, you know, it's been over a decade that she's been missing, but they haven't stopped. Right. Like in so many cases that we talk about where we hear from family or friends who recognize and know the value of just getting these stories out there, whether it's two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, however many years that it's been since someone has vanished or disappeared, getting the stories out to a new audience, whether it's in the news or a flyer on a street corner or a podcast like ours, those are more people that are aware of the story, who see the victim's picture, and may know something. And even in regards to this particular story, it was amazing to see how many people came forward in support of Jennifer and her family when she initially disappeared. Even you know NASA stepping forward and saying, hey, we'll take those images to make them you know, higher resolution and to look better. It was a fascinating community effort for Jennifer. And if anyone out there happens to know anything or wants more information on this case, the family has set up a website, jenniferkessie.com, that you should check out. All right, Jessica and Spencer, thanks very much. We will be back next week with a new case and a new story. True Crime Chronicles is a Vault Studios production. You can tell your friends to listen, subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all major listening apps. Jessica, where can people find us? You can find Vault Studios on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back next week and every week with a new episode and a new case. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Jessica Knoll.